You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, so Luke chapter 5. Uh, let me kind of jump in and move toward that text by uh, just reminiscing with you for a moment. In, in April of 2016, we began a two-year uh, season of generosity called All In. And, you know, I think in 30 or 40 or 50 years from now, when we look back over the history of our church, this particular two-year season will be one of the most important seasons in the life of our church. I mean, one of the ways that I just kind of picture it is I think uh, in this particular two years, from April of 2016 to April of 2018, and a few months from now, it'll be ending. But in this particular two-year season, it's as if we have dropped a huge rock into the pond of our church and for the foreseeable decades, the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we're going to all witness the ripple effects of this two-year season, that the movement of God in this two-year season is going to impact the next 20, 30, 40 years of life inside of this church family. It's that important of a season. You know, when I think about All In, it's a, yes, it's a generosity season, but it's, it's been so much more for that. It's never just been about generosity or even primarily about generosity. You know, we've said from day one that the, the main goal has never been about a number. It's never been the, the emphasis. It's never been the main thing we, we've uh, been after. Uh, one of the ways that we just tried to help make sense of that is by saying that if someone would have come at the beginning of, of All In, so let's just say March of 2016, the month before, and if they would have written a check for everything we needed to do the next step, if that would have happened, here's what we said. Uh, we're gonna kill the fattened calf and we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna celebrate and thank God for that gift. So, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna thank God. We're gonna have that moment. And then we're still gonna do a two-year generosity initiative called All In. And here's the reason. It's never been about a number raised. It has been primarily about each of us opening up our lives and heart to the Lord and asking God, would you take me on the journey of learning what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight? God, would you do that in me? God, would you make, would you make our church into a church family who is just full of faith? God, would you do that? That's been the emphasis, that's been the heart, that's been the primary goal of all in. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. So today, I wanna just lift up Luke 5. It's the passage that kind of grounded our set of sermons called All In and really this two-year season. I wanna lift up Luke 5 again and the theme of faith. And I want us to consider again, just revisit again All In and that primary theme of walking by faith. So when you're thinking about Luke 5, it's an interesting story for multiple different reasons, but I, I, I want to make sure that you see the core of the story appropriately and rightly. The, the core of this story is not Peter's conversion. This is not a conversion moment for Peter. The story is not about Peter's conversion. The story is about cultivation. It's cultivation, not conversion. It's a moment where Jesus is showing up in Peter's life and Jesus' goal in this moment is to cultivate a life of faith in Peter. That's what's happening in this story. Jesus is providentially arranging things to pull out of Peter and his disciples more faith. So think about it from Peter's perspective. Peter's a fisherman. This is what Peter's known. This is what Peter has done. Peter's life has been lived as a fisherman. This is how he's provided for his family. This is how he's provided for himself. He's a fisherman. By the time you get to Luke chapter five, verse 10, 
Jesus comes to Peter and says to Peter, Peter, I've got this call on your life. And this call is going to take you out of being a fisherman. This call is not a stay at your home, do what you've always done sort of a call. I'm asking you to leave all that you've known. I'm asking you to leave all that you have, everything that's familiar to you. I'm asking you to leave all of that. And I'm asking you to come and follow me. In this moment, Jesus is drawing Peter into that often talked about but seldom experienced territory called walking by faith. He's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, I want you to push all of your chips in and I want you to follow me. Leave it all and follow me. Now, it's interesting when you read uh, passages like this one. Wouldn't you love to be able to get into the inner dialogue of what's happening in a human mind as this story is going down? Like, I would love to be able to crawl into Peter's mind between verses 10 and 11, between Jesus saying, this is not a stay at your home call, this is a different thing, Peter, come and follow me, and then, and then verse 11. I, I just picture Peter, I mean, if you could just crawl in his mind, I could just picture his mind being full of all sorts of questions. But what's gonna happen to me? But what about my family? But how are we gonna provide? I mean, Jesus, don't you know that fishing is the way I've kind of survived and provided for my family? What, what's gonna happen now? I mean, there's all of these unanswered questions in Peter's mind. How is this, how is this gonna work out? If from Peter's perspective, there's not a whole lot about this that makes sense on a human level. I'm about to leave everything I know and I'm gonna go follow this Jesus around. I mean, there's just not a whole lot about that that makes sense. But what is Jesus doing in Peter's life in this moment? Jesus is creating that all or nothing scenario for Peter. That's what Jesus is doing. He's arranging events to create a fork in the road in Peter's life. And Peter's got a choice to make. Either Peter is going to stay in control of his life or he is going to take the road where Jesus is gonna be in control of his life. Either Peter is going to walk by faith or he's going to walk by sight. Either Peter is going to live by what he can see or he's going to trust Jesus and live by what Jesus can see. That is the all or nothing scenario created here. And I love that last line, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is one of those key defining moments of faith in Peter's life. It's this moment where Peter has, in this passage, he is turning from everything he has always banked on to make his life okay. And he is turning from that and he's turning to Jesus as the one from this point forward that's gonna make my life okay. Everything I've banked on, I'm saying no more. Jesus, like everything I have is now banked on you. That's the moment in Peter's life in Luke chapter five. It's this all in moment. It's this moment where Jesus is cultivating faith in Peter's life. It's this moment where Peter is learning to walk by faith. Now, in light of that, I wanna just ask and answer a couple of questions about faith. Here are the two questions I wanna explore with you. Number one, what is the main business of our lives? In light of, the, in light of the core of Luke chapter five and what it's showing us, I wanna ask and answer the question, what is the main business of our lives? And then question two, what is the biggest obstacle to that main business? So what's the main business of our life and what's the biggest obstacle to that main business? So question one, what is the main business of our lives? There's several ways you could say that and use biblical terminology, but, but here is one way you could say it. What is the main business of our lives? The main business of our lives is to learn 
what it means to walk by faith. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is one of the main things that, that we're doing in our life. This is one of the main ambitions we need to have in our life. After, after our conversion, after the moment of us trusting Jesus, being adopted into his family and being a son and daughter of God the Father, post that moment, after our conversion, the key sort of defining moments in our life with God they happen when Jesus creates these sort of Luke 5 scenarios, these all or nothing scenarios, these scenarios that push us toward faith, these moments that push us toward deeper dependency on God, less dependency on self. These are the big kind of key defining moments in our life with God. And they're the key kind of defining moments in our life because the first business of our life is to learn what it means to walk by faith. What, what it means to trust God, what, what it means to, to bank our lives on him. So we need to answer the question, what is faith? If that's the main business of our life, what is it? Uh, Martin Luther, he described it this way. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God and his promises. It's a living, daring confidence in God and in his promises. Faith has this forward-looking bent to it. If you cut it down to its core, living by faith is a willingness to live by God's promises, not our perceptions. I mean, think about how we live. It's by our perceptions, right? What we can see, taste, touch, smell, feel. Like what, what we, it's by sight. But, but living by faith is saying, no, I'm not gonna live by my perceptions. I'm gonna live based on Jesus and his promises. That, that's how I'm gonna live my life. That's what's gonna be undergirding my life, supporting my life. I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. The essence of faith is casting oneself upon the promises of God. That's what faith looks like. Faith is trusting God or what God says over what we see. That's what faith is. It's casting ourselves on his promises, trusting what God says over what we see. Now, that, that idea of faith in the Bible is just pervasive. You can't read the Bible for long without seeing that this is a central idea, that it really is the main business of our lives. Let me just give you a few for instances of that. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says this, The righteous shall live not by sight, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, why is that? Because Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That even the best things that we do, if they're not motivated from a heart of faith, that they're not pleasing to God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we, for followers of Jesus, for we walk by faith and not by sight. How do we walk by faith and not by sight? 2 Corinthians 4, 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, our perceptions, but the things that aren't seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And maybe my favorite example of just the pervasive nature of faith in the Christian life is Galatians chapter two, verse 20. This is Paul talking. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then watch this next phrase. He says, and the life that I now live in the flesh. There's a couple of ways the Bible uses the word flesh. Sometimes it's talking about that inner part of us that's still at war with God. That, that inner part of us that, that doesn't like God, that old us, that, that's one way the flesh is referred to. The other way the flesh is referred to is just your body. It, it's the, the thing you're living within right now. And that's just the way Paul is talking about it here. He's saying in the, in the life that I now live in the body, 
The life that I'm living right now in this present life, he says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that, that my life right now as a follower of Jesus is lived in faith. This is not a peripheral issue in the Bible. It's a central issue in the Bible. Now, let me just give you a couple of reasons why it's such a massive kind of biblical theme. And such a, you cut the Bible down to the core, you find faith just deep down there in what it is that God wants for us. Let me give you a couple of reasons for that. First of all, faith is connected to just every single area of our life. Faith is connected to everything you're doing or not doing. Faith is under that energizing and motivating or a lack thereof everything that we do. I mean, this is the reason that Paul says, the life that I now live in the body, like my life is lived by faith. It's underneath energizing and motivating everything. Now, now, and he's saying that because it's connected. There's not a single area of your life or a single issue that you're dealing with right now that doesn't have some connection to faith in your life. There's no struggle there's, there's nothing in your life that God's asking of you right now that's not connected to faith. You know, when you think about the Christian life, it's important that we think about it rightly. So the Christian life is not a kind of initial moment of faith where we throw our life upon Jesus and then kind of followed from that kind of a, a disconnected life of faith. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life starts with the moment of faith. That's our conversion. That's that first moment where we trust Jesus. It starts with the moment of faith and it continues in faith. Every day we get back up and we throw ourselves again upon Jesus and his promises. That's what every day looks like for a follower of Jesus. It starts in faith and it's lived in faith. Maybe you could think of it this way. Faith is not just the key to our eventual going to Jesus. It's also the key to our present day, right now, growing in Jesus. Like if we wanna grow and be more like Jesus in our life, what that means is we have to embrace new and deeper levels of faith. That's what it looks like in our life to grow up into the image of Jesus. Now you see that, this idea of like all of our life being connected to faith, uh, maybe the, the clearest place you can see that is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, you know, over in that, you know, your little section heading in, Le in Hebrews 11 might say the hall of faith. And here's kind of the pattern that you see in Hebrews 11. It's talking about faith all throughout the chapter. And the pattern of Hebrews 11 is by faith, then it names a person and then they did something. So it's by faith, this person did this. By faith, that person does that. It's showing us how faith is connected to our lives, everything about our lives. So as if, for instance, it says by faith, Abel, here's what he did, out of faith, offered acceptable sacrifices to God. By faith, Enoch, he lived a life pleasing to God. By faith, Noah obeyed God when obedience seemed crazy and he built an ark right? By faith, Moses did something. By faith, Moses turned from the seductive sort of voice of, of power and pleasure and possessions and, and position in Egypt, and he turned to Jesus. All of those things are happening by faith. Uh, by, by faith, and by the way, living by faith does not mean that we all get a cozy, comfortable life. For all of us, it actually means the exact opposite of that. And, and in Hebrews 11, you see some of that. By faith, some endured suffering patiently, right? By, by faith, some suffered incredibly difficult things. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to show us that every square inch of our current life is connected to faith or the lack thereof. 
underneath every moment of obedience or the lack of obedience is faith or the lack of faith. Faith is connected to every moment of our life. So like, think about your life right now. How do we fight despair in our life? By throwing ourselves upon Jesus and his promises. How do we fight against anxiety in our life? By throwing ourselves upon Jesus and his promises. How do we fight against lust in our life? By throwing ourselves upon Jesus and his promises. How do we fight against bitterness and resentment in our life? By throwing ourselves upon God and his promises. How do we endure suffering well for Jesus' sake? By throwing ourselves upon Jesus and his promises. This is how. This is how we live as followers of Jesus. It's by faith. It's by throwing ourselves upon Jesus. There's not a single issue, a single area of obedience with your hands, like in your life, that is not connected to the war that's raging in your heart between faith and unbelief. It all starts down there in the heart. Like today, by your grace, God, help me believe your promises. Help me believe your promises over my perceptions of what, what life is right now. So faith is connected to all of life. The second reason why faith is such a huge deal is that faith is how we glorify God. It's, it's how we go about glorifying God and making much of God. You see this in, he, in Romans chapter four, verse 20. This is talking about Abraham's life. And Paul makes this comment about Abraham's life. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. God, make us more like that, right? No wavering concerning the promises of God. But Abraham grew strong in his faith as, so just, it's connecting it. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So think about the Christian life for a moment. Our deepest joy as a human being comes when we have, when, when our life is arranged like this, God's at the center, we're orbiting around God. God is who we're trying to make much of, not ourselves. That's when a human being is functioning in a way that God has intended us to function. That's when the deep river of joy that God loves to bestow upon a human heart begins to flow and gush forth is when we're saying, we're gonna make much of God. We're gonna glorify God. We're gonna put him in the center of this thing and we're gonna gladly orbit around him so that when people see us, they can see through us to this one that we're making much of. Hey, that, that's the, the, the reason that we're here is to do that, to make much of God. And by doing that, we're unlocking this deep river of joy in us. So the question becomes, how do we glorify God? How do, how do we do that? The answer in the Bible is we trust Jesus. That's how we make much of God. That's how we put him right in the center of our lives is by trusting his promises over our perceptions. This is how we glorify him. I love how one pastor says it. He said, lives of faith are the great mirror of the dependability of God. When we're living lives of faith, people look at our lives then and they see a mirror that is reflecting God back to them. It is showing them this is how faithful their God is. This is how trustworthy their God is. This is how good their God is. When we're living lives of faith, it's glorifying God like that. It's making much of God. This is the way that we've tried to illustrate this over the last couple of years. Is picture a little boy seeing a swimming pool for the very first time. Just maybe you can go back there in your own mind when you first saw a swimming pool. 
And the, the little, the two or three year old little boy, he comes up to the edge of the pool and he's terrified. He's never seen water go that deep. He's never seen that much of it. Kind of, and, then, and he's kind of putting together that he's supposed to jump into that. I mean, just see that little boy terrified on the edge of the pool. Now picture his dad coming into the pool. So now his dad's submerged in it. And he's looking up at his son who's on the edge of the pool. And the dad is saying, son, I want you to listen to my voice. Do you hear me? And the son says, yes, I hear you. And the dad says, I want you to jump. And the son looks back and is like, but dad, look at that. Look, look at the water. It's over my head. Dad, how could I jump? There's no way I could do that. I'm too scared. And the dad says, no, son, listen to me. I want you to jump. Now, how does the son make much of his dad? How does the son glorify his dad in that moment? The son glorifies his dad by getting to the edge of the pool. He's got all of these fears going on inside of him, but he looks at his dad, he listens to his voice. And when his dad says to jump, he jumps. He trusts his dad and he jumps. That's how he makes much of God. How he doesn't make, or his, his dad, he doesn't make much of his dad if in that moment he gets to the edge of the pool, he hears his dad say jump and he looks down at the water and he looks back at his dad and says, I just can't do it, I'm not gonna do it. And he walks back from the, from the edge. That is not making much of his dad. That is saying to those around him, his dad is not trustworthy. That fear is more powerful than my dad is. What might happen is more powerful than my dad is, right? But when we jump, it's a way of us saying, no, there's nothing more powerful than my dad. My dad can rescue me. My dad is gonna be there with me. Now apply that to our life with God. What it looks like for us to make much of God is when he calls us over to the edge of the pool, he's down there in it. And he looks up at us from the pool and he says, okay, I know it's gonna be scary, but I want you to jump. I want you to go for it. How we make much of God is by trusting him in that moment. It's what shows the world around us that our God is trustworthy, that he's faithful, that he's dependable. Faith is the way that we glorify God. It's the way that we make much of God. Now think about the way God has planned the Christian life. It makes sense when you see it that way. What, why is God planned for faith to be not only the start of the Christian life, but the continuation of the Christian life. Why is that? It's because in every moment of faith, that first moment when we trust him and he rescues us to the thousandth moment where we trust him again and we throw our lives on him again. In every one of those moments, we are glorifying God. We are making God look great to the world around us. We're showing the world, this is how great our God is. Faith is connected to all of our life. Faith is how we glorify God. Let me take one more step with faith. Think again about faith being the main business of our lives, right? So we wanna glorify God. The main way we do that is by living by faith, by, by throwing ourselves daily and by the minute upon the promises of Jesus. But then the question becomes, how do we cultivate? Like, how does Jesus go about cultivating a life of faith in us? So if that's the main business of our life, this is what Jesus is doing in us. How does he do that? How does he, how does he grow and develop faith in us? And the short answer to that is faith grows through risk. This is how God cultivates and brings out more faith in us. This is how he stretches our sort of faith muscles so that they can grow more and more. This is how we learn how to put the, you know, our, our, our trust in. 
and, and to, to, to lean on God as dependable. I, I think in light of that, it might even be helpful to think about faith in light of risk, maybe even define faith in light of risk. One way you could think about what faith is, is faith is the willingness to risk anything on God. The willingness to risk anything on him. Nothing's off limits. We'll risk anything on God. I love how a pastor of a generation ago said it. He said, if you want to know how faith is spelled, it's an ironic spelling. He says, this is the way faith is spelled. R-I-S-K. That's how faith is spelled. And he's, he's spelling it that way because that's what it feels like. Like when, when you're living by faith, it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm embracing risk in ways that feel so uncomfortable right now. Faith in action feels like risk. So, so think about how God cultivates faith in us. It, it, when God does that, he, he brings a coin with two sides into our life. On one side of the coin is, here is the promise of God. This is what God says. This is who God is. We've got that happening in a moment in our life. And then on the other side of the coin is our perception, what we can see and taste and touch and smell. And the moment where God begins to cultivate faith in us is when these two things diverge. When our perception is now different than God's promise. Now you see these sort of things throughout the Bible. Uh, think about David. And there's many moments in David's life, but think about the moment when David walks up to the Israelite army who is camped across from the Philistines and Goliath is, is taunting God and the people of Israel. And the, the Saul, the entire kind of adult army of Israel is terrified that they are seized with fear. They can't act because they're so fearful. And then here comes David He's probably 14 or 15 at the time. He comes up and he hears Goliath taunting Israel. So now here's his moment. On one side, he knows God is gonna be with him. On the other side, Goliath is like a nine foot tall giant, right? So what do you do in that moment? Perception and promise are different. Here's what David did. He went and grabbed his stones and he ran to meet Goliath. That is a moment in David's life where, where God is cultivating faith in him. Think about this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember the story where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue? Everybody who didn't bow down to him was gonna be tossed into a fiery furnace and uh, killed that way. And they wouldn't bow down to the statue. So when they were confronted, do you remember what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar? Here it is in Daniel chapter three, verses 17 and 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, if this be so, if you're gonna throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we are able, or, or whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Okay, so you see it here? The divergence happened. Here's the promise. Our God can do that. Our God is able. Our God will be with us. There's the promise. Now here's the perception. There's a furnace that when we step into, you know what's gonna happen? We're dead. That's what's gonna, we're gonna die as soon as we step into that thing. Perception and promise are different. They, they diverge. It's this moment of, of, them, of God cultivating faith. It goes on, verse 18. But if not, if our God who is able to save us doesn't save us, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that, that we will not serve your gods whom you worship or the golden image that you have set up. Do you see it? That's how, this is how God cultivates faith by putting us in moments like that. Promises over here, perceptions over there, and are we willing to embrace Jesus and jump in that moment? Think of Esther in the Bible. Do you remember her story? 
Haman had just issued an order to kill every Jew basically between India and Egypt. Every Jew was about to be killed. And Mordecai tells Esther, uh, who knows, Esther, maybe it's for just a time like this that God has raised you up in the king's house to be his queen. Maybe it's for this time. And Esther looks at Mordecai and says, why don't you fast and pray? Gather the people, fast and pray, and I'm gonna go see the king. Now, going to see the king meant she might die. Any, anyone, uh, the only way into the king safely was when he initiated it. But when you initiate the visit to the king, if he doesn't like it, you're dead. So she is risking her life in this moment. And do you remember what she says? She says, and if I perish, I perish. Promise over here, perception over here. What does she do? She embraces Jesus, throws her life on Jesus and embraces that risk and she jumps. How about John the Baptist? He's a good illustration of not every, of just showing us that not every risk ends well. Which by the way, that's the reason it's risk, right? It's the reason these moments are fearful. When John the Baptist risked, uh, his, really his life to speak the truth to Herod, the most powerful person in that little part of the world at that time, uh, that meant he was thrown in prison and eventually his head was severed. If you look at the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, that hall of faith chapter, some of those stories turn out so good, but other stories turn out like this. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. In light of that, this is like such an important thing for us to grasp. In light of that, what makes risk or a life of faith right? What, what makes it right? What, what makes risk or a life of faith right is not that every risk turns out well. That's not it. But it's that a life of faith, it's that risk reflects the worth of God. That's what makes risk in this life of faith right. It's why Esther should have said, if I perish, I perish. It's why David should have said, even if I die, I'm gonna go down trying with Goliath. It's why Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they should have said, even if we die, we're not bowing down, right? Because when we do that, it is showing the world, this is what our God is worth to us. This is how much he means, this is how faithful he has been to us. This is how much we think of our God. What makes risk right is that risk reflects the worth of God. And this is what this season has been about, about us embracing that sort of risk that sort of life of faith. It's been about God taking us to the edge of the pool, telling us to jump and us finding new courage in Jesus to be able to say yes to that and we jump in. That, that's what it's been about. Now, one way that's obviously hit all of us in the room, that that's, that's, this is your church home, it's been through generosity. That, that's one way it's hit us all. We've just asked that God would use our generosity to take us to the tip of the spear of faith. That's been one way, but it's in all of life. Like what ways is God looking at you and calling you to take new steps of faith? Where in your life right now is God positioned in the pool? You're up on the deck. He's got you over at the side and he's saying, I want you to jump. I want you to do it. Listen to my voice and jump. But where's he saying that to you right now? Where's he calling for a new step of faith? So again, think with me. 
What's God doing in our life? He is cultivating faith because this is the main business of our life. How is he doing that? He's doing that by drawing us into risk, by, by drawing us into these moments that test and grow and cultivate our faith. So that leads to the question, well, then what's the big obstacle? It's like, why is it so hard to do that then? Why is it so hard to, to get on the edge of the pool, hear God say jump, and just to jump? Why is that such a hard thing? Here's the short answer in the Bible. What's the biggest obstacle to a life of faith? Our flesh. Our flesh. Now, our flesh is that part of us. We're using it in a different way. Not, not your body, just like the, what you're living in, your suit right now. Not, not that, your body. But that, the other way the Bible uses the word flesh is to talk about that old part of us. That part of us that's still in us, even after we are followers of Jesus, that, that still doesn't trust God. That's still at war with God. It's that flesh that makes this so hard because our flesh hates living by faith. There is nothing that makes just the skin of the flesh crawl more than a moment where you take a leap of faith toward Jesus. The flesh hates us living by faith. Now think about what that has done to most of our lives over time. Because the flesh in us still hates living by faith, at some point along the way, in most of our lives, we adopt a way of living that says this, the purpose of my life is to arrive safely at death. The real purpose of my life is just to get to the end of it with enough money. If I could just do that, then it'll be okay. The, the real purpose of my life is just to get to the end of my life and I still got a house and a car and I, I'm okay. And the Bible is looking at that and saying no to that. The purpose of your life is not to arrive safely at death. The purpose of your life is to, in every single moment of life to walk by faith, to, to glorify God by showing how dependable and trustworthy he is. But our flesh hates that. When I think about just how this plays out in my own life, uh, this is how, just how it makes sense to me, is the flesh in me constantly is stoking fear in me that wants to keep faith in my life kind of contained in a diversified portfolio. And that, that way, if like one or two areas, you know, crumble, I'm still okay in the end. So what the flesh wants me to do is to say, hey, uh, sprinkle a little bit of your hope and a little bit of your faith in your house, a little bit in your marriage, a little bit in your kids, a little bit in your bank account a little bit in your retirement account, a little bit in that, and a little bit in this, and a little bit over there, and then feel free to sprinkle a little bit on Jesus too. That's okay, right? And that way, if, if any one or two or three of those crumble on you, you're gonna be okay. This is how, this is how the flesh works itself out practically in my life. It's that, that diversified portfolio thing, but and now why is that, by the way? Because the flesh hates living by faith. But on the other side of that, and we just all need to hear this this morning, Jesus hates our diversified portfolios. Now he hates that, not because he's against us, but because he's for us, right? He hates our diversified portfolios. He, he, he wants more for our life than just to arrive safely at death. You know, when we talk about the flesh and how it works itself out and how it keeps us from faith, it feels a little bit abstract when we talk about it, but it's not an abstract reality. Maybe you could think of it this way. In all of our lives, the flesh has a voice and we're listening to it all the time. It's constantly talking in your life and in my life. 
it's that play it safe voice, that, that keep your head voice, that, uh, that voice that's always urging caution in your life with Jesus, that, that voice that says, you always need to keep the seatbelt on in your life with Jesus. Don't take that seatbelt off. Don't get too, you can like Jesus, you can even love Jesus, but just don't put yourself in a place where you actually need him. That's what the voice sounds like. It's that voice always urging caution, always urging you to, to take it easy, to, hey, make sure you use wisdom. Hey, God gave you a brain. He probably doesn't want you to act in faith with that brain. It's that voice that's always going. C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Weight of Glory, has this chapter called A Slip of the Tongue. And in that chapter, he identifies that voice. And this is the way he talks about it. And you just see in your own life, do you hear these voices always chirping in your ear as well? Here's how he says it. He says, there is a voice. He's talking about that voice of the flesh. There is that voice inside of me that urges caution. It tells me to be careful, to keep my head, not to go too far, not to burn my boats with Jesus. Whatever, whatever you do, keep a way out with Jesus. I come into the presence of God with a great fear, lest anything should happen to me within his presence, which will prove too intolerably inconvenient when I have come out again into my ordinary life. Think about the, the two minutes after a sermon. In most of our weeks, they're some of the most important two minutes of our life. And do you know what I think a lot of us do? We come in with almost hedging our life against it. God, I'm not gonna say yes to anything I'm gonna regret after lunch. God, I'm, I'm not gonna do anything in this moment, say anything right now, make any commitments that when ordinary life kind of takes back over that, that I'm not gonna like. He goes on, I don't want to be carried away into any resolution which I shall afterwards regret. For I know I shall be feeling quite different after breakfast. I don't want anything to happen to me at the altar, which will run up too big of a bill to pay then. Now, do you recognize that voice in you? That voice is alive in me. I hear that voice. That, that voice that's always saying, hey, be rational. Don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. Use the brain that God's given you. Now think about the effects of that voice. If Noah would have listened to that voice, he never builds an ark. It hadn't even rained yet. Who builds a boat when it hadn't rained? If David listens to that voice, he never sees a giant fall. If Moses listens to that voice, he never sees the Red Sea part. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego listen to that voice, they never meet Jesus in that furnace. If Peter listened to that voice, he never would have left his nets. Do you ever think about the things that, that you have missed out on? I think about this a lot. What, God, what have I missed out on because I'm listening to that voice? What experiences with you? What sort of deeper knowing of you have I missed because of that play it safe voice of the flesh? All in has been about a season for us to declare war against that voice, right? for us to get to the edge of that pool, to just, just to allow the Lord to take us, us little three-year-olds in the faith, right? That are trying to grow up in the faith, to trying to exercise more faith. It's been a season to allow God to pull us over to the edge of the pool and just for us to, to listen to the Lord and to ask him, what is it that you want? 
And as we're listening to his voice and when he says, okay, now it's time to jump. I've told you what I want. Now it's time for you to do it. For you to get off the side and into the water. All in has been about a season of us jumping. But see, here's what that play it safe voice says. But, but I can't see the bottom of the pool. Jesus is saying, I know that. But I don't know if I can swim when I jump. I know that. I'm going to be here. I don't know if you're going to catch me. And Jesus is saying, you've got to jump to find out. There's only one way you're ever going to know that. You can't know that on the side of the pool. You've got to jump in to figure it out. All in's been about that season for us to figure it out, for us to jump into the pool and allow Jesus to get with us in there, to meet us there. That's what it's been about. Let me close with this. Uh, Dave Hansen has just become one of my dear friends over the last five or six years. He, uh, he came to Stonegate about maybe a year in or so. And um, we knew each other before that, but not well. Um, since then, we've been able to get to know each other really, really well. Uh, but I'll never forget the first, uh, the first conversation we had after Dave uh, got to Stonegate. And now he's an elder here. He's, he's, deep in with us, just, like I say, just a a dear friend. But that first conversation that we had, uh, this is the thing I remember from it, is uh, there was one moment we were chatting about this, that, and the other when he looked across the table, looked me in the eye, and he asked me this question. He said, Rodney, are you a man of faith? Are you a man of faith? And I, you know, even when I think about that question now, I'm like, I want to be that. I want God so badly to grow me into that. For, for those muscles of faith to be stretched more, for that to grow more, for that voice of the flesh to be tamped down and the voice of God to be so much louder and for me to trust God enough to jump. And that's really been what this season's been about. Is it's, giving, it's giving us a chance as a church family to deal with that question. Are you a person of faith? Are, are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? That when God says jump, you do it. Let me just give you one of the ways that plays out. I mean, so, so there's two ways to approach God. And so often, this is the way we approach God. God is over here and we turn our back to God and we've got this imaginary safety deposit box behind us and we, we take everything in our life that we're really banking on to make us okay. So whatever those things are for you, maybe that's your retirement account, maybe that's, I, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe that's your bank account, but we've, we've got these things that are non-negotiables that are in the category of, God, these are, these are not in the conversation. And we take those things and we put them in the safety deposit box. We lock the box. Then we turn around and we look at God and say, okay, now let's talk. Here are the things on the table. God, whatever you want, I'm in. God, you just, you just tell me what you want and I'm gonna say yes to it. That is the opposite of a life of faith. A life of faith means we approach God like this. We turn back around 
gosh, this is so painful and scary to do. We unlock the box and we start pulling things out one after another until finally we look down in that box and there's nothing left down there. And then we scoop all that stuff up and we put all of that on the table and we step back from it. And then we say, now God, let's talk. What is it that you want? When do you want it? It's all yours, God. There's no strings attached to these things. There's no non-negotiables in my life. I am, I'm positioning myself on the edge of the pool and all I'm doing is waiting for you to say, jump. And when you say it, I'm a yes to that. I'm in on that. that that's what faith looks like in our life. When I, when I just dream about our church, I just, I'm, I'm asking God to do just remarkable and amazing things with us. I look across this room to many people that I love so much. And when I think about your life, I'm just asking God to do remarkable things in your life, through your life. When I think about my own life, man, I want God to do those sort of things. And do you know what I love about the Bible and about the good news of Jesus? We really don't have to be remarkable people for God to do that. You don't have to be some sort of an amazing person for God to do amazing things to you. We don't have to be some amazing church for God to do some really amazing things through us. But here's the one thing we have to be willing to do, and that's embrace risk, to say yes to God, to say yes to a life of faith. That's the one thing we have to be willing to do. But will you bow with me? I wanna give you a moment. This really is one of the most important couple of minutes of your week, week in, week out. This is a moment where we get to respond to God. We get to listen. We get to allow the Lord to press into us those things that he would want us to hear this morning. For some of us, the first step of faith is trusting Jesus for the very first time. This is how the journey with God begins. We, we turn from our sin, all the things that disqualify us. And we even turn from the good things that we think actually qualify us some way to God. We turn from all of that. And in a huge moment of faith, we just hurl our life upon the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We trust Jesus and his promises that he has done everything needed to make us right with God the Father. And in that moment, God adopts us into his family. He calls us his own. He makes us his sons and daughters. So for some of us, I think that's the first step that needs to happen today. We need to meet Jesus for the very first time. For others in the room, this is a moment for us to ask the question, are we, are we people of faith? We get to ask that question. What, what sort of next moments of faith is God arranging in my life? Maybe it's sharing Jesus with that person. Maybe it's forgiving that person. 
Maybe it's new steps of generosity. Maybe it's pursuing orphan care. Maybe it's, maybe it's confessing our sin. Maybe it's for the, for the first time and as long as we can remember, we begin to drag our sin out of the dark and we put it in the light. Maybe it's new steps to reorder your marriage. Maybe it's to, to patiently wait with Jesus for marriage. Maybe it's opening up our houses to help other people. I mean, we could just go on forever, but just what is, where is Jesus right now in the pool looking up at you and saying, it's right here. This is the issue. This is the thing. And I want you to jump. Oh God, would you help us see it today? Would you help us see it? God, would you give us the courage to act? Would you give us the courage to jump today towards you? So, oh God, talk to us now, speak to us now as we respond through song. And it's in your good name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.